We're in this new series. That's why you see that plate. Uh, there's a plate as the kind of the graphic with a knife and a fork and a, or a fork and a knife. And, and uh, it, it's called meat and potatoes. And it's really kind of meat and potatoes explanations to caviar ideas. Um, there are a lot of theological thoughts or um, uh, ideas that we think, because they, the words get thrown around a lot, we all think we know what they mean. But, but if we're honest, just familiarity with a term does not necessarily communicate, or uh, does not necessarily, is not necessarily equal to understanding of the concept behind the term. I mean, there are lots of words that we use, uh, and we think we know the meaning of, and there are lots of words that we use, and we, 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 we use the wrong version of it. Like, um, let me see, you've got uh, disirregardless. No, no one says that. But we do say irregardless. Irregardless means not regardless. So sometimes we get caught up in terms and we think we know what they mean and then we use them wrong. Okay. But today the word we're going to talk about is sanctification. The, the, the idea behind this, 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 this theological term sanctification is a big one. Um, some people would say it's as simple as to be sanctified is to be made clean. Um, that might be right, but it's actually the, the ongoing process of being made clean. Uh, it's a process, and you've heard me define it before. Max Lucado in his book, Just Like Jesus, he says, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. And then I love that, I, and, and I've kind of taken that, and the process by which Jesus loves you the way you are and does not leave you that way is the process we name in theological circles sanctification. Okay, here's the thing. Sometimes we think that God's job is to make our lives easy, and, he want, and we want that process of, being, of making us more holy to actually be making us more happy. And that is not always how God does things. Often, God uses things that he could prevent, he allows, to make us more the person he made us to be. And we don't necessarily like it. So here's an example, um, or, or just a, a thought to have in your mind as we pray and then read these passages. There's a woman, a mom, she's got a 10-year-old son and a two or three-year-old son, and she's in the grocery store. And one of the things, the reason they went to the store is that the, the older one had, had saved a bunch of money and he was buying a package of glow sticks. You guys all know what a glow stick is? Okay, if you don't, then look it up because this isn't going to make any sense to you. Um, and they were at the checkout, and mom had that moment with her, with her kids when the, the older boy's holding his bag of glow sticks, and the younger one wants one. And then it got the stomping of the feet and the red face and the snot coming out of the nose and the tantrum starts, and mom's like, oh, my God. So she decides, instead of maybe doing what's right and saying they don't belong to you, they don't belong to any of us yet, we haven't bought them, um, and, and going through that whole process and standing up the line, she just goes, she goes over to the older boy, takes the package, tears it open, takes the stick out, hands it to the little one, and immediately quiet. I mean, looking at a stick. And she starts to pay, and she notices out of the corner of her eye that the older one is taking the glow stick from the younger one. <laughs> And he takes it and he breaks it and he gives it back and he says, Mom, you got to break it to make it glow. Okay, you can already see it and I can see you going, oh, I know what he's saying. Sometimes we have to be broken to glow in order for us to shine the way God wants us to shine as a people and as individual persons. Sometimes difficulty must come. And often God uses those difficulties 
to make us more holy, to sanctify us. So with those ideas in mind, let's pray, and then we'll read from Philippians 2 and Colossians 3. Lord, you're God, we're not, and we want to hear what you have to say. And Lord, I want to speak what you want said. I don't want this to be my message for them, but your message for us. So stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, speak with my mouth so that your people hear your message today. And Lord, if there's something I have planned to say that you, don't, that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. But if there's something you want said that I haven't thought of in prayer and study, then make it burn within me and I'll, I, I, will, I will communicate what you want said to your people today. And Lord, give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us receive. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God, our Father. Amen. So, Colossians, or Philippians. I quoted this passage last week, and I always quote it wrong, just like the fruit of the Spirit. I always love joy, peace, patience. I always miss one, uh, and I get the order mixed up. But I did do the same thing here, and it's kind of a crucial thing. So I thought it was a good way to start the message today. And this is Philippians. Uh, Paul has favorites, and the Philippian church was his favorite. Colossians, right up there. Um, but he says similar things, but here, it reads like this. Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing." But even if I, be, if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now that passage that continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Um, and so when I was in seminary, I was kind of the guy, I don't, I don't know if I was right, I, but the professors, I'm paying the, my tuition, and so I think that their job, they work for me. So they're supposed to teach me something, and if me or someone else in the class doesn't understand something, I'm the guy, like, some guy, what is he talking about? I'm like, I'll ask. And there was one professor, we call this classes dead guys in Latin phrases, um, wonderful man, very learned, very, quite a scholar, but he and I didn't, he didn't like, he didn't like me very much, and I don't blame him, because I'm that guy. I'm the guy that's going to ask. I'm the guy that's going to poke. I'm the guy that's going to challenge. Now, that might serve me well if I'm supposed to be looking at Scripture, but it didn't serve him well when I'm in the class. But there's one thing he said, and I've, I've, given, him, I've given grief about him before, but there's something he said about this passage that, I, that sticks with me, and there's great wisdom in it. Someone asked, we were reading this and studying this passage in a theological class, and I think he was quoting Karl Barth on something, and then someone goes, but, but it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us. Us, uh, who, who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So who's responsible for us becoming the people that God wants us to be? Is it God or is it me? And this professor looked at all of us and said, yes, I am responsible. I can either stand in the way of what God wants to do in, for, and through me, or I can cooperate with whatever he wants to do in, for, and through me. But sometimes we have this idea of sanctification, this Jesus loves me just the way I am but refuses to leave me that way. Sometimes we think that that's our responsibility. And it isn't. Just like faith, it's not that we first loved him, it's that he first loved us. 
Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. It's not what you already have. It's what you're hoping to one day attain. Last week, Paul in his passage said, continue to live up to what you've already attained. So God is the one who has already given. God is the one who is already is, is completely in control of it. And God is the one who is working the process. What, I, what we're responsible for is to cooperate. But man, that's hard when it hurts. It's hard when there's pain. It's hard when we've been betrayed. It's hard when our political party doesn't win. It's, it's hard when, when, when we see others behaving in ways that we think they should behave differently. And it's honestly, it's hard to make changes. It's hard to become the person that God wants me to be. Especially if you look back in your life and you see all the ways you failed. And you have, and I have, significantly. It is hard to, to, to think that God would, is making me something that I'm not. But I'm going to ask you to, to uh, ask you to put something in your head. I'm going to ask you to think of a time when, when it hurt, when life was hard, when you had doubts, when you were frustrated, when you wanted to do what we did in the Psalms the last several weeks ago and shake your fist at God. Remember that. Just for a moment. And then fast forward through when you got through that trial. Because the scriptures never say to be thankful for your trial, but in your trial. So remember a time when it was tough. When you came out of it, one of two things happened. You either became bitter or you became stronger. God allows what he could prevent because he wants to make us more holy, not more happy. And that is hard. But oh man, are we good at seeing how God is not, what, how someone else is not cooperating with God's sanctification process. We can, oh, it's easy to see that other people haven't become who they already are in Christ. And there's a guy named Thomas Akempis. He says this, do not be angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be since you cannot make yourself who you wish yourself to be. It's got a point. So in Colossians chapter three, this is the second most used uh, passage in weddings. The first one is 1 Corinthians 13, one through 8a. Love is patient, is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not... Uh, easily angered, it's not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, uh, always trusts, always hopes, always protects, love never fails. Yes, we love that. The second one is this. Since then, you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, when Christ, where Christ is seated in the, at, at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm going to pause there just for a second because that's a weird, it's a weird phrase that you are hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean to be hidden with Christ in God? Well, something that is hidden is something that cannot be seen. And yes, Christ has finished his completed work. Everything necessary for our salvation has already been completed. It is finished, Jesus said when he was on the cross. Who he was, how he was born, who he was, how he lived, what he taught, what he did, the miracles that he performed, his suffering, his death, his descension into hell, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to the Father, all of that, that is a completed work. It is good news. And it, all of that for our salvation, everything that's necessary, yes, already completed, but he's not done. He's coming back. The other thing he's not done with is you and me. 
And so to be hidden with him is to not see the final outcome of who he made you to be. See, he wants you to be someone more than you are. He wants you to become the person he made you to be. And in him, you already are. But he knows that you're already a saint, but you're not yet sanctified. You're already made perfect, and he loves you, and he's given himself for you. But he also knows that you're, all, that you're not yet made perfect, and he, he has to continue to give himself to you. We, we just read that, or we just sang that song talking about uh, he sits on the mercy seat. Jesus is mercy, and he needs to continually show us mercy day to day because we cannot and will not live in it all the time. So that to be hidden with Christ in God is to, is to, is to trust that we are not, we do not yet see who God sees us to be. We do not, we have not yet become, we are in the process, this, the, the current and ongoing state of being made whole in Christ. The journey is sanctification. And it continues like this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you, li you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, just so you know, this anger, when it says anger, it seems like anger and rage might be the same thing. And he's talking about this, 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 this thought life of being angry. So if you don't know what that means, think back to how you felt the six months leading up to the last presidential election. That's what he means. When you're yelling at the TV and you're like, I can't believe it, how could people think that way? And that's, that's anger in this context. Malice or rage is just those outbursts, those, those mom when the boy's about to do what he's gonna do to the other kid in the checkout, that, that's rage. But anger's that, that perpetual ongoing, that thing that makes you bitter the thing that makes you judge, the thing that makes you not who God made you to be. But now you must rid yourselves of all things such as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. And the filthy language here, it's not cursing. Um, it, scripture does address that, trust me, especially obscenity. But, but this, the filthy language here is when we continually talk about Others, it kind of follows up on the slander thing. We talk about others and, 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 and create an image of someone that isn't completely and 100% true because we don't know their soul. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and to put on the new self, which is being renewed, which is, is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here, the, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, Republican, wait, wait, hold on. Not there. Uh, I was gonna finish up with Democrat, don't get me wrong. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now there's so much here, but I, wanna, I want you to think about, I want to focus on a couple of things. One is whatever you do, do it in the name of your Lord Jesus. That means that all parts of our lives are supposed to be conformed to the glory of God. And the glory of God, glory, the Greek word there is doxa, and glory, doxa means weight. And man, is God's glory weighty. You know, we're, we, we, can, we can put more weight on God. We can, we can tell ourselves to glorify God is to make him even more substantial. But when he puts his weight on us, when we are supposed to be ambassadors of his glory, means our job, as it says here, is to shine like stars in the universe. We have to be broken so that we will glow. And, and, but man, that's hard. It's weight. How can I think to speak or to behave on behalf of God, but it says here, whatever I do, I'm supposed to do it in his name and for his sake. Scripture's full of people who, who took on that mantle, who, who felt that weight and messed up and asked God to change it. We read through the Psalms, the, the tough Psalms, when, when David is like, God, come on. And Paul, author of two-thirds of the New Testament, when you, when you think about what he went through after he was converted to Christianity, after he was killing Christians, and, and then he had this time of training when Jesus himself instructed him, and then, then the guy went off and he went around the known world three times to, to plant churches and to, to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ phenomenal man and he was shipwrecked he was snake is a snake bited snake bitten snake bit i don't know but he by a venomous viper could have killed him he was flogged more times than we can count his own people and every town he came into tried to arrest him and kick him out and he was arrested and he spent the last decades of his life in prison and i thank god that that happened to him now when i meet him if I'm wrong on that, I should be thanking God that Paul was suffered so much, he can call me out on that. He can take me straight to the throne of Jesus and say, he's thankful that I suffered. But Paul's thankful that he suffered. We talked about that last week, that everything he went through and everything that he had accomplished before, he said it's all dung. It's dung. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is Christ, and he is in all and is all. That is, that's what Paul's saying right here. But even Paul, it got so weighty that, that, remember when he talked about that thorn in his flesh? And it wasn't a literal thorn that the surgeons couldn't get out. It was just this thing that kept nagging him. So three times he asked God, will you take this from me? And God answered this, my grace is sufficient. And sufficiency, we think, ah, it's sufficient, it's good enough. No, it's, it's, it's the same to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. The idea of sufficiency there is infinitely, uper periso uper panta. Infinitely more abundantly above all we could ask or even dream up. God's grace is infinitely more abundantly above all we could even fathom. That is more than enough. It is completely sufficient. But what about you? You, it, it says here to put to death. That sounds like it's your responsibility. Yeah, it's to agree with God that he wants to kill it. If it's gonna burn, you don't want it now. And it says here to clothe yourselves. How do I clothe myself if it's God's responsibility? Well, let me give you a little story. You've heard it before, but there's a short story author. Uh, he's French, uh, Henry Duveral. 
Duvillier, I don't know, it's O-I-S at the end, I don't know how to say it. But he wrote a cool story called Clothes Make the Man. And you've probably heard it, you might have read it, but it basically the premise is kind of like this. There's three guys that are going to rob a house in Paris. And these three guys, they, and part of their plan is, okay, one of us is going to dress up like a cop. And with a cool little hat in France that got the little billy club with the little baton. And, and, and he's, he's going to stand outside and walk the beat to make sure that everyone feels comfortable so that the guys in the house can rob it. And so as this guy's out there, he's got a shiny whistle, he's got his little baton, he's walking the beat, and he sees a, a lieutenant police officer go by in a carriage, and he salutes him. And the guy salutes him back, and he's like, oh, feels pretty good. He's got a shiny little whistle, he's got his baton, a little old lady needs a little help across the street, and he helps her out. Little boy falls down, skins his knee, he helps him out. And then there's this drunk guy who's being disorderly, and he decides, this is ours, he's been in this uniform, and he goes, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm take that guy to jail. And so he starts to get this disorderly drunkard and he gets him, gets him up and he's getting ready to take him off to jail and his buddies see it and they're like, what are you doing? And they come out of the house and they go, what are you, we're supposed to, you're blowing the whole thing and they slap him upside the head. He pulls out his whistle and he blows and he blows and he blows and he goes, thieves, thieves and the cops from all around the other neighborhoods all come and they arrest their friends. So his guy's a crook and he becomes a cop by what he wears. What does that have to do with us? Clothe yourselves with the clothes of Christ. Who is the one who sits on the mercy seat? Is he compassionate? Is he kind? Is he forgiving? Is he long-suffering? See, it's just the difference. My responsibility is to cooperate with what God wants to do in me. My other option is to go, nope. And here's the beauty of God is that he will respect your decision. I read a couple of weeks ago that hell is God's last act in human history of respect. How could a loving God send someone to hell? I get it. I do, I don't like it at all. I wish the, the predominant witness of scripture was that that didn't exist. But then you start thinking about it and there's something to it. See, God loves you so much that he will not force himself upon you. I don't think anyone is, who does not want to be with God, who does not want to be the person that God made him to be, according to the scriptures, I don't think God is gonna force any of them to live in eternity with him if they don't wanna be there. And because God gave us a will and, 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 and allows us to decide whether we cooperate or, or if, we, if we try to stymie what he wants to do in us, that hell is his last respectful act of human will. You don't want to be with me? Okay, I respect that. But what about you? Do you want to cooperate with God in who he wants you to be, who he is in the process of making to be? He loves you just like you are, but he does not want to leave you that way. What about you? John Newton, the composer of Amazing Grace, was a slave trader. I don't know if you know that. And he was converted. And he realized what he had done. He had traded people like their property and profited from it. That's where Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is what he says. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be, but I thank God that I am not what I was. 
And I can say with, with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Look, you're going to mess this up. You're going to stumble and fall and chip your teeth. And God's going to break you to make you glow. And that's a good thing, even though it doesn't feel good in the moment. And there's something else that you may not know about sanctification. And that is that it's not supposed to be just for you, just in you, and just through you from God. It's supposed to be us. And it is really easy as pastors to look at other churches and other movements and, and uh, these guys are going that way and these guys are too far that way and, and it's really easy to criticize that they're not who you, I want them to be but if I can't make me who I want to be and I can't make this church what, who I want it to be then, then how can I be angry with someone else that can't do it, that can't be who I want them to be? It gets a little wonky but here's the thing. God wants a people not just individual persons. And a lot of times in our American worldview, and it's a good one, I mean, I'm, I'm as patriotic as they come, but a lot of times we think so individually that we forget that God has a plan for the corporate body, the bride of Christ. We are his bride. He wants to make us holy and pure and blameless so that when people see a people tuned to God, that they want to be a part of what does not exist anywhere else on this planet or in human history. And here's the thing that God is doing. I don't know if you know anything. This is not a real piano. It's, it's, it's a shell and it's got a keyboard inside of it that's electronic. But when it used to be a string piano, or if you picture a baby grand piano, if you get someone who, who, who has the gift of tuning and they, get the same, they use the same tuning fork and they put it on one thing and they get, it all, they get all the other strings to, to work together, the hammers and the strings. And then if they were to go with the same humidity and the same temperature control, they could tune 100 pianos individually. But because they were tuned by the same tuner and the same tuning fork, they're all in tune with each other. When I used to play in the band, I would play the trombone and the, the conductor, David C. McCoy, would stand up and he'd go, ding, 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 because it's time to tune. And he would have the first, by the way, he threw that at me one time. It didn't stab me, but I deserved it. He had the first trumpet, first chair trumpet, play a note. I don't know what it was for the trumpet. It was concert B flat. But I know that the, the note was B flat for me. And he would have the first, and then the next, and the next, and then he had the whole second. And he'd go, no, it's a little flat over here, a little sharp over here. You take your little, your little slide, and you move it around, and you, you adjust it so that once we're in tune with each other, once we're in tune to the first trumpet, we're in tune with everybody. That is God's desire for his people. Not that we try to tune with each other, but that we tune to him and thereby being tuned to one another. If we're following the conductor, if we're, if, we're, if we're tuned with the same fork and under the same umbrella, then we will indeed begin to represent and look like the ambassadors that we are. We will be the people that God has been and is making us to be. But sometimes he has to break you to make you glow. And sometimes you break yourself and then you know you're not glowing. So let me give you this last little tidbit and then I'm gonna read the passage one more time. There's a woman in a church that claimed that she could hear directly from God and she went to talk to her pastor and he's kind of, uh, eh, I've heard some of the things that you've said and she goes, no, I can prove it. He goes, okay, all right, let me, let me put it to the test. I want you to go to God and don't come back to me. And he was hoping for it to be forever. Do not come back to me until he answers this question. You ask God the next time you're talking to him, what is my deepest, darkest, most secret sin? She goes, okay. 
I think that's pretty risky, by the way. Because God knows it, but he doesn't want her to know it. And one week later, she comes back, she sits at his office. Well, did you hear from God? I did indeed. What did he say is my deepest, darkest, most secret sin? He said he forgot. God doesn't forget, but he does choose to remember no more. It tells us that our sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't choose north and south because you can go so far north that you start going south, but you cannot go so far east that you start going west. You're going to fail. You're going to break yourself. But God is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He is sanctifying you even when you're resisting him. But it goes better for you, for me, for us if we cooperate instead of resist. Let me read this one more time. A little slower, now that you've heard all the other things about it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all, such, all things such as these, anger and rage and malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you, have taken, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. There's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, H-O-L-Y, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ, and notice it says let the, you're cooperating with, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are not who we ought to be. We are not who we should be. We are not who we want to be. But thank you, Lord, that we are not who we used to be. Lord, sanctify us individually and corporately. Tune us to you, to your spirit, to your heart. Tune us to the mercy seat. Remind us that we need mercy. But remind us, too, that we're supposed to clothe ourselves in mercy toward others. Join us as we do our best to cooperate with you, joining you in your mission for this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Through the power of the Spirit that lives within us, for the glory, the weight of God the Father. Amen.